Welcome to Fostering Solutions, a podcast that uplifts people and enterprises making positive impact in communities around the world. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Foster. Okay, my guest today is Justin Clark. He's on one of the special guests on the Maximizing with Michelle series. How are you doing, Justin? I'm good. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. So tell the audience about yourself. Who is Justin Clark? Yeah, I've, I think about that question a lot, and I want to have this deeply philosophical answer of like, <laughs> who really are any of us, all right? Uh, but no, I'm, I'm Justin. I'm a North Carolina native, uh, a father of two rambunctious little boys. They're six and four. Uh, I have the joy of... Um, getting the chance to serve the people of Charleston. Um, this is the year three since we, we uprooted and came to Charleston. Okay, and, okay. Um, when I'm not doing uh, hanging out with my kids or working, uh, you can find me in the kitchen coming up with the perfect biscuit recipe or um, trying to find my next baking adventure. Uh, so, yeah. Sounds like fun. So did were you recruited specifically for your job or did you move and then because you you've only been here three years yeah so what what you know what made what prompted you to make that move yeah so i've been with boys and girls clubs uh since 2014 okay i was with clubs in tennessee as a program director then a unit director and then was ready to to move forward in my career and uh, found the job in West Virginia. Didn't know anything about West Virginia. Hadn't uh, even had it on my radar. Mm -hmm. And uh, went through that process and came and interviewed. And and my wife and I very quickly fell in love with Charleston. And so we moved moved here for the job. Wonderful, wonderful. So are you you happy you moved or? Absolutely, absolutely. It's been an incredible place. Uh, for our boys, uh, and it's been a great, a great uh, location for us. Uh, the people have been fantastic, mm-hmm. and there's there's such an opportunity for impact here, and so we're just we're grateful to have the chance to be here. Yeah, I moved here 30 years ago, and I I can say amen to all of that. Yeah, West Virginia has some of the best people you'll find, and you feel like you can make an impact here. I think we're small enough um, that if you feel like you can make a difference, I totally agree with that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the pepperoni rolls help. <laughs> 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 and all the other stuff. Right? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. So you are the executive director of the Boys and Girls Club. So talk about, and you kind of really mentioned some of that journey you've been with them. Was that right out of school in 2014? Or did yeah. you have another another career prior to joining boys and girls club so i have a uh, a very roundabout life story um, i actually failed out of college um and i'm sure you're not you're not the first you, know, you will not and, be the last <laughs> <laughs> uh and things in my life had just gotten really crazy and so i sold everything i owned and moved to romania and oh wow yeah okay uh worked at an orphanage in romania for a year and came back and wanted to do something different. I uh, mm. didn't know what that was, but I uh, moved into a friend's basement in Northeast Tennessee and was driving around this little town called Elizabethan one day 
and the Boys and Girls Club had a now hiring sign out front. Oh, wow. Uh, I had never gone to the Boys and Girls Club, never done anything with them, and walked in the door and met my mentor, my now mentor, Jenny Wright, and fell in love with the club movement. And now they say we uh, we, we say we bleed blue uh, for okay. Boys and Girls Club Blue, and so have been been with them ever since. Okay. So what keeps you in this work? What keeps you in this sector working with young men and women? Well, the ability to get wealthy in the nonprofit world is absolutely you know, <laughs> oh, yeah, <right. laughs> driving force. <laughs> Good luck with that. <laughs> um, no, not at all. Uh-huh. Uh, I really, and it goes back to what we said at the beginning, I really feel like that clubs and the, the age groups and the families that clubs are serving, there's such an incredible potential for impact. And not just short-term impact, but for generational Mm -hmm. impact and generational change. And it's just so rewarding. It's not instant gratification, right? Mm -hmm. That's that's a hard part. Uh, But I've been in the clubs long enough now that I get phone calls from a kid that says, Hey, Mr. Justin, I just graduated college. Or, Hey, Mm -hmm. Mr. Justin, I'm getting married. Or... I made the football team for high school, yeah, you know, and yeah, so it's getting yeah, to yeah. see that impact uh, that keeps me keeps me coming back. Absolutely. So um, this series is about maximizing impact. So what does that term mean? What does it mean to you? Yeah, um, without reusing the word maximizing, mm-hmm. right? I think it means leveraging every resource that we have, whether that's as an individual or as an, as an organization, as a, mm-hmm. as a business, uh, leveraging every resource that we have to make the, uh, the most impact. Um, and that's, again, the impact for the individual, the impact for the family, mm-hmm. and ultimately, with the work that we do, the impact for a community. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so doing whatever it takes and doing whatever we can right. to, to meet that goal. Okay. So you were the first person I released my book baby on on uh, February 23rd of 2023 and you were the first person to order my book and I was just like oh my gosh somebody actually bought my book uh it's called success strategies you know maximizing impact success strategies for dynamic nonprofits so what chapters or chapter of the book really resonated with you yeah and i, I brought it with me mm-hmm. uh, so i could refer <laughs> back to the actual chapter but there um it was i want to say 16 and 17 or mm-hmm. yeah 16 and 17 so role models and mentors and then the self-care mm-hmm. piece self-care because you know i um over the last year uh, have been well really for the last three years since right before I moved to West Virginia, I've been back in college full time mm-hmm. um, and then completed my full master's program in nine months. So I was, Oh my God, it was a lot. That's it like was, a record. It was a, it's it was be a, a push. It was a push. Yes. Uh, and I couldn't have done it without my wife <laughs> um, uh, taking one for the team. But um, that self care piece is just so important. So when this mm-hmm. book came out, I was in the middle of my final semester of grad school, writing term papers, staying up until one and two in the morning, mm-hmm. trying to do that while trying to lead my organization well and care for my family well. So that that chapter in particular mm-hmm. really jumped out at me. And then 
lesson five in your chapter on role models, you say, we need a vision to see beyond our current circumstances. And I think in the work that we do and in the world we live in right now, it's so easy to get bogged down mm-hmm. in what's right in front of us. Um, and to say like, well, you know, our kids had a really hard day today. What we're doing isn't making a difference or whatever, you know, your context is and having that vision of why are we here? Mm -hmm. What are we called Mm -hmm. to do? What were we put here to do? Uh, I think is like the key motivation to get out of bed every morning and go back to the work the next day. Um, So about, you know, you ask about the main takeaway that was a huge one for me because I think that sets the tone for everything else, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? Your your vision for what you're doing sets the tone for uh, the financial procedures. It sets the tone for the strategic planning. It mm-hmm, sets the tone for mm-hmm. board development. And so I think that that was just, it was a good reminder for me to not right. get bogged down in the here and now. Yes, and to not be overwhelmed because it can yes. be overwhelming when you're running when you are the leader of the organization, it all falls on you. You yep. know what I mean? So it can be, it can get overwhelming if, if you let it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, talk about the programs that you have at Boys and Girls Club and which ones do you think are most impactful? Yeah, um, the thing I think about in terms of impact <clears throat> Again, it's not an instant gratification thing, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. some of the immediate impact is hard to, to quantify. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that our our literacy focus and our, our, our prioritization of literacy since COVID uh, is when we're seeing some really great short-term impact and short-term gains. Mm-hmm. So we've partnered with the Greater Canal Valley Foundation uh, and the Wheeling Country Day School And we're providing, I think we're up to 40 kids now with targeted and individualized literacy tutoring. They get that two times a day or two times a week during the school year, but they're going to four times a week during the summer program Mm -hmm. and really trying to hit that summer learning loss. And so we just got some uh, progress reports and updates from schools. And we have kids that have moved from C's and D's to A's and B's. It's amazing. We're seeing increased Mm -hmm. confidence. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're seeing increased interest in those kids going on the library field trips mm-hmm. or, or taking mm-hmm. books home from the club. So I think that that program is something that we're really proud of. It's something that has impact. Right. Uh, and it's I mean, you can measure the impact. Yes. So, yeah. yeah yes. It's always great. Yeah. And then this is our first year since COVID that both of our club sites in Charleston and St. Albans are open for the summer. Mm-hmm. And I think that summer programming time is so important because we have kids that there's nowhere there's nowhere else for them to go and it's safe and for it's them safe to, yes, yes you know and so we're open uh we're open 50 hours a week and so our parents are able to go to work mm-hmm. um, they can drop their kids off their kids get fed they go on field trips we continue to prioritize academic success and we have so much fun mm-hmm. you know we have mm-hmm. so much fun and uh, this summer we're doing everything from gardening to going to tour the Mothman Museum. You know, it's okay. uh, we try to give kids a variety of experiences, but I think that one has impact, one, from that safe place, mm-hmm. but two, with our, our efforts to kind of attack summer learning loss mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and help mitigate that. So you, you've got the site, two sites. So how many children do you serve per year? 
and how large is your team? Yeah. So we, when I got here, um, the clubs have been closed for 15 months. Mm-hmm. It's in-person programming. And so we've been, we reopened Charleston really quickly and then reopened St. Albans. And so the last two years have really been, let's, let's grow and let's mm-hmm. get the doors open. Right. Um, so in our last program year, we served uh, a little over 300 kids total, um, about 50 to 60 a day. Um, between the two sites, mm-hmm. our St. Albans site in the last since the beginning of this school year, because um, our year runs September to or October to September. Okay, like uh, the federal fiscal year. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we're about to come up on our reporting for this year, mm-hmm. but uh, St. Albans has doubled their attendance, their average daily attendance. Uh, they've doubled the number of kids uh, that are registered members. So to answer your question, this is a roundabout way. Uh, to answer your question, we are on track to serve, I want to say, a little over 400 kids this year. That's and, amazing. And um, anticipate being back at our pre-COVID capacity when the school year starts. Um, we have two full-time uh, club directors, one mm-hmm. for each site. Uh, we just hired an education coordinator that's going to share responsibilities with the two mm-hmm, clubs. Mm-hmm. And then our youth development professionals, our program, our direct program staff, for the summer right now, we have 13, I believe. And then the school year, we have, we're on, we're, the hope is to have 12. So six at, e- at each okay, club site. Okay. Yeah, it's a major operation there. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's an adventure. Um, but when you have the right people in the right seats on the bus, mm-hmm. uh, it, it makes a difference. It does. For sure. It, it sure does. So what strategy, and you may have already mentioned this, but if you want to expound, what strategies have you used to maximize impact? Um, we try to do, <clears throat> for our staff and for our, our community partners, uh, we try to leverage storytelling mm-hmm. um, because that, in my experience, that helps to drive uh, stakeholder engagement. Mm-hmm. And so that's, you know, storytelling of the successes, storytelling of the challenges that we're facing, mm-hmm. um, I think would be a, a critical one. Um, we have tried to be more intentional in engaging with the families of the kids that we serve um, so that we're not just an after school program. You know, mm-hmm. we're, we're meeting the needs of the family. Right. And so that comes in the form of providing financial education classes for for parents or um, we're working on a like a nutrition program where we're going to be able to bring families in and help them mm-hmm. meal plan and meal prep together so that we're seeing that impact at home too uh, and then it's just in our context it's going out and finding the resources so that we can serve more kids more often um, and I think a, a a big piece for us that we've seen expand our impact is the the board development piece and that community advocacy piece that the mm-hmm. board does. Um, when I got here, we had four members, um, and they were they were tired. They had been doing it for years, mm-hmm. and um, through them and through the the revitalization of our programs, we've grown to a team of twelve, um, and they're incredible. And they've they've bought in, and they are out helping to advocate in the community um, and helping us identify resources that already exist that we can either partner with or point our families to. 
because the last thing we want to do is duplicate. That's all right. right. Um, I feel like that limits our impact. If we're all doing the same thing, um, I feel like we're, we're limiting the impact we can have. Mm-hmm. So, so what's your connection to the national boys? And is there like a national boys and girls club that you are connected to as a local club or like, what is that? What does that look like? Yeah. So Boys and Girls Clubs of America, um, mm-hmm. it's it's a federated model. So each club organization operates independently okay. of, uh, I call it the mothership mm-hmm. um, of BGCA. Uh, but there are, <clears throat> they, we just opened our 5,000th club um, wow. earlier this year. Mm-hmm. And so they, they're governed independently, but we also all collaborate. And then the national office provides us with programming so they have a a program development team that ensures Mm -hmm. that clubs small clubs in charleston west virginia have access to the same evidence-based programming of clubs in dc and in los angeles Mm -hmm. Um, they also help drive our safety policies and procedures so we get you know annual safety audit and things like that from from bgca Mm -hmm. and the leadership development pieces that they provide are incredible. Okay. So, you know, coming up in October, I get to send our St. Albans director to St. Louis for the club directors Academy. And he gets to network with other club directors from across the country that nice. are in his same role from a variety of clubs. Mm-hmm. And so the, the cohesion that can come from that and the, the energy that comes from that for him, I think it is great. Uh, but yeah, so we we are a part. We're all a big happy movement, is right, what they right. call BGCA, uh, and the 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 headquarters really drives again just program delivery, impact, um, and then being that a great resource for us um, for safety and and any other issues that we're confronting in our right, local area. Right. So how long has the local program been around? The one in Charleston. So the Charleston Club opened in 1965. Wow. Yeah. So we're we're coming up on our 60th anniversary in two years. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the St. Albans Club started much later. Um, St. Albans Club, I believe, was, I don't have that date as handy. I want to say it was like 2012, 2013. Okay, so fairly new. Um, yeah. Is when the St. Albans Club opened. Okay. So now you've been with Boys and Girls Clubs uh, for nine years? Yes. Yeah. So what do you know now that you wish you knew when you first started? (laughs) Um, Self-care is a huge thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I've learned a lot at the clubs um, about what it means to be a leader. Uh, When I came into clubs the first time, I was hired to work with the teens. And I came in and I was like, I'm going to change the world, right? Because this club didn't know what they were doing until I got here. And I was 22, 23 when I started. And, um, you know, I thought I was God's gift to the Boys and Girls Club movement. Um, so I wish that I I wish that I knew the humility that it takes to lead effectively. Um, I think I would have saved myself some headaches and some some hurdles. If I knew that coming in and I wish on the front end that I had been better equipped to drive the collaboration process Mm. that really defines the impact that Mm -hmm. organizations can have. Um, I, again, I was, you know, young and 
uh, was going to take charge and thought that we could do it alone. Thought that I could do it by myself and our club could do it by ourselves. And I feel like we missed some opportunities there in the beginning because mm-hmm. I had to learn that it really does take a community of stakeholders Absolutely. to to make impact. Absolutely. So what, you know, as you reflect on your career, what aspects of your work are you most proud of? I am really proud of the work we're doing in Charleston um, with getting the clubs reopened post-COVID. That was a long shutdown Mm -hmm. uh, for the clubs here. And so getting the clubs both reopened and operating, um, I'm very proud of that. on a personal development piece, I'm proud that as a first-generation college student, I just finished my master's with high distinction. Congratulations. Um, That's awesome. You. That I, is awesome. Um, I got an A- minus in statistics, so I finished with a 3.97. Oh, wow. Uh, I wanted that 4.0, but I, I, I took what I could get. <laughs> That's okay. Um, That's excellent. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you. Um, I'm, really, I'm really proud of that. Uh, and I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity to show my boys mm-hmm. that that example. Um, so the Charleston Club, and I'm proud from uh, my time back in Tennessee, uh, the club that I came to was in a period of transition. It was in a period of, um, I mean, really just a total turnover of staffing. And uh, I was hired in January of... 2019 Mm -hmm. and by january of 2020 we had doubled our attendance so we were seeing almost uh, 175 kids a day and we were we we had this great upward momentum and then the world shut down then the world changed (laughs) and we had to to pivot change yeah but we didn't shut down during covid we pivoted to be a virtual learning hub Mm-hmm. And we're able to continue to serve kids and families through the pandemic. Sure, that was um, very important, yeah, for the families. Yeah, yeah, and I can't take the credit for that. Um, we had an incredible team, but I'm I'm proud to have been a part of that at that critical mm-hmm. time mm-hmm. for our families. Yes, that's that's awesome. What a rough time, my goodness. Um, so when you think about taking your program to the next level, um. You mentioned the resources from, you know, um, Boys and Girls Club of America. And so what other resources would you need to really take your program to the next level? Yeah, the the clubs in Charleston are in a unique position uh, because we we have the resources of the Boys and Girls Clubs of America. Uh, but we also, you know, at, operate as a program of the Salvation Army, and so we mm-hmm. we bring to bear the resources of the Salvation Army, um, which we're very fortunate mm-hmm. to have. I think as we look to the future, um, we have to continue to do, and it goes back to what we talked about. We have to continue to do the work to build collaborative relationships mm-hmm. across our communities. That's Absolutely. with service providers. That's mm-hmm. with other organizations, but that's with our community too. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what what does it look like to build relationships in our neighborhood on the west side where our Charleston Club is mm-hmm. or right off of Main Street St. Albans where the St. Albans Club mm-hmm. is? Mm-hmm. What does that look like? I think that's going to be uh, 
critical um, because it's not my program. It's mm-hmm. not uh, the advisory board's program. It's this community has to decide, do we, do we want a Boys and Girls Club? Do we need right. a Boys and Girls Club? Right. And do we think that it's effective? And if so, it, it takes the community to, to make sure we're doing the most and maximizing, um, maximizing the impact that we can there have. You go. There you go. Um, yeah. Obviously, financial resources are always a, a thing. Um, and I think as we come out more so out of COVID and we're seeing um, the way that our families are struggling and we're seeing the way that 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 government funding that we all relied on for so long in terms of mm-hmm. um, charitable support. <clears throat> We're going to have to rethink the way that we uh, steward the dollars that we have and the way that we, we cultivate those relationships with donors and with partners. Um, Cause it's going to take really diversifying your yeah. funding, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, we're in the position of we want to ensure sustainability and ensure um, that we can operate, but not building that program on the backs of the families that we're serving. Mm -hmm. Right. And recognizing our families are struggling more than they were two years ago. So how do we lower the investment that we're asking for from our families Mm -hmm. increase the investment by by our community and by other stakeholders Mm -hmm. so that we can serve the kids who need us the most um you know we we have a policy and a a a practice for us that we'll we'll never turn a kid away Um, i have families this summer that are paying us a dollar a day for their kid to be there because that's what they can do Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um but i think that's going to be a critical conversation to have as we move forward and as we grow. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what, what would you, what, what would you tell someone who's thinking of starting or um, just learning more about a nonprofit program similar to yours, whether it's a boys and girls club, but just that whole uh, space of working with youth, what advice would you give to them? Run. Uh, no, um, I think that, and again, we, we said this earlier, um, before deciding to jump in, before deciding this is what I'm going to do, uh, I think it's important to look at the work that's already being done mm-hmm. around you. And where can is there a space that already exists where you can jump in and help expand impact Mm -hmm. um, rather than duplicating what's already there. I think that's important. Um, And that lesson that I learned in the beginning, that collaboration is key. So Mm -hmm. if you look at the community and determine, hey, there is a a need that's not being met, Mm -hmm. um, who can we collaborate with to meet that need? But also, also not coming into a space like youth work and saying, this is what this group needs. Mm-hmm. This is what the solution is. Right. right. It takes, I think it takes listening to the community that you're wanting to serve, listening to the community you're hoping to have an impact mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. and the space you want to have impact in and letting, letting their story and letting their, um, their reality drive what impact is going to look like Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because you may have one idea 
that you're going to come in and you're going to get every kid to have an A plus in statistics. So they don't get a 3.97, mm-hmm. but what that community needs is something completely different. Right. Right. Yeah. You know? And so I think that's, I think that's important. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then remembering that it is not instant gratification. I've been in boys and girls clubs for nine years. I've never had a kid walk up to me and say, Mr. Justin, can you develop my character today? Yeah. Right. Like that, that doesn't happen. Yeah. But again, now seven, eight, nine years mm-hmm. down the road, you can see it you get right. to see it. But we live in such a like movie trailer world where we want everything mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. now. And that's just not what the space, that's not what the space is. It'll take some investment of time and talent yeah. and, you know, resources to really get them there. And tears and, and tears <laughs> and disappointment. Yeah. Because it's certainly a marathon and not a sprint. Absolutely. It is not. So as you think you know, you you're working with our youth, you're really, you know, developing developing them into, you know, great adults. As you look to the future, what gives you hope? In the midst of it all. Yeah. Um I mean, it sounds cliche to say our kids, but our our kids are what Mm -hmm. give me hope. When I come out of my office and walk out onto the playground and I see the the way that our kids interact, um, the way that they don't see class, they don't see histories, they don't see an ACE score or whatever the reality is. They see a a person. Mm -hmm. They see another Mm -hmm. human. And they see the innate worth that that person has. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think as we see <clears throat> younger people come into positions of, of influence, um, I think you'll, I have hope that we'll see um, increased respect for one another. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, too, especially post-COVID, so our younger, younger kids, mm-hmm. they have a desire to communicate and to connect because they spent those formative I years know, disconnected. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever tried to sit a group of brand-new kindergartners down and tell them <laughs> to type in their password. <laughs> they don't know how to read, but we're going to have them yeah. type in their password. You know, they spent that, those formative years disconnected. And so I see in the kids we're serving this drive for connection, this drive for relationship. Mm-hmm. And it makes me hopeful that um, we will see that collaboration and we will see that unity and that um, that willingness to to get in the trenches together. To work together. To work together. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. Well, thank you so much. Anything else that you want to share with the audience? What's any special announcements about boys and girls clubs or anything you'd like to share as we we wrap up yeah um we do have our signature fundraiser coming up um on august 29th at the west virginia culture center Uh, and it's going to be a night where we get to celebrate the the work that our kids have done over the last year Mm -hmm. um, share stories of impact share some hopes for the future so uh, very excited about that it's the first time we've done it in charleston um and I think the the other big thing we have coming up is July the 10th, we open school year registration. 
and it seems crazy that it's I'm already July. Like that's uh, not that. That's not even two weeks. No, oh no. And I feel like we just started the summer. I know. Time uh, but is we, flying by. Yeah. And so we will be um, opening that school year registration. And I would also just like to give, you know, an open an open invitation to folks mm-hmm. that are listening. Um, we would love to have you come to the club and uh, invest in the way that you want. We have mm-hmm. folks that come in and read to our kids. Uh, we have folks that come in and teach our kids how to use sewing machines. We bought these sewing machines. I don't know how to use a sewing machine. <laughs> don't tell my grandmother, but you know, and so, and we have folks that come in and have taught our kids how to paint, have taught our kids how to change their oil in their car. Mm-hmm. What is it that, that you bring to the table and you're excited about that you want to come and, and give back to our kids um, so That's we'd great. love to have anybody who's interested in that wonderful, reach out to us. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Justin. It's been a pleasure having you on my series. And I you know, look forward to the great things I know you're going to continue to do. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you so much. Thank you.